Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Friendships matter for guys too, but boys face some unique challenges. Stay tuned. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com. Thanks for being our listeners. Thanks for supporting our sponsors. Boys are twice as likely as girls to be friendless in middle school. And by adulthood, one in five men say they don't have any close friends. Friendship matters for guys, too, but clearly boys face some unique challenges. And we parents and educators, we often fret over our boys' friendships and social lives, but we don't really know what to do to help them or when to intervene or what's normal or not normal. So today we invited our friend, Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore, an expert on kids and friendship, to join us Uh Dr. Eileen, she is a psychologist and an author, and she may be better known as Dr. Friendtastic. Welcome, Eileen. Hi, thanks for having me on the show. I'm delighted to be here. You work with children of all ages, of all genders. What are some common boy friendship challenges? What what do you hear more from some of the boys that you work with, perhaps, uh, that might be a bit unique or different? So I'm glad that you said that because some of the problems are just the same for everybody. Yeah. Like a friend has another friend. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I feel jealous. I feel hurt. Or I'm in a new group and I don't know how to connect. So that that is very, very typical. But I I think you're right that boys and men do have special challenges because of the image of how they're supposed to be. And I don't know who's deciding that, but <laughs> but it is very much uh, a part of boys thinking of, you know, what is what is okay for being a boy and what is not. And I think we definitely need to challenge those. So one example would be rough and tumble play. Ooh, let's talk um, about that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some boys love it, you know, and if you see a group of boys hanging out together, probably pretty soon one boy is going to jump on the back of another boy and then you know, it's all and go. this just in my experience this works and you will see this from age as soon as they can like move independently yeah up at too. least until into their 20s yeah in fact there was one time when uh we were together with this this mom who had older kids and my son like leaped onto his two sisters and or two of the three sisters. And, and I, I said to her, at what point do I no longer have to say, stop, keep your hands to yourself. And she said, I don't know, because my son's 25 and we had the family together and the sisters were sitting quietly watching TV and he leaped on them. So I don't yeah. know. Well, and we know boys bond 
through physicality. They bond through that rough and tumble, high fives, whatever it might be. I mean, we see it on the football field, right? It's football season and the pat on the butt, which is okay on the football field. It wouldn't be okay anywhere else. Anywhere else. Yeah. So there is a, a big homophobic Mm -hmm. spoken and unspoken thing. But there are also individual differences within kids. So anytime you look at a a gender difference, they're overlapping hills. So there's a difference in the averages, but there are lots of differences in what a particular kid might be. A Mm -hmm. particular kid may be on that end or this end of the bell curve. And even with rough and tumble play, which we find peaks at around age 11, it's only about 10% of the boys play. So it's not all the time, always. And 40% of boys don't like it. So if that's your boy, great. You know, that's absolutely fine. Now, one thing, I I read this hilarious study where they had video recordings of rough and tumble play, real fighting and play fighting. And they showed the videos to men, women, and kids. The men... And the kids were pretty good at telling whether it was a real fight or a play fight. The women were no better than chance unless they had brothers, in which case they were familiar with them. I'm so glad you mentioned that because as you're saying that, like, I bet that there is a big difference between women who you mentioned having brothers or like moms who have boys. You know, your exposure is different. And I know that myself as a parent, I mean, I did... Eileen, I have four brothers, but like they were just, they were annoyances that lived in the same house I did. I guess I didn't pay that much attention to them. (laughs) And I think that's kind of common for siblings. That study is so important. We have so much to unpack here because so many of our listeners are moms. So many of our educators are women. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is that there is this component, rough and tumble play is not at all uncommon. And yet it's not all of their play. And women especially uh, kind of misunderstand and can interpret things as a fight or a conflict or a real potential Stop for that violence. right now before someone gets hurt. Yes. Um, but mm-hmm. actually that is the the difficulty with, with rough and tumble play. So if someone gets hurt, they're doing it wrong. And what we see is kids, for example, with ADHD, don't know the line. Yeah. So there, there's one researcher, he does research with animals. He actually recommends that dads practice rough and tumble play with their boys mm-hmm. and make sure that every episode ends with the boy pinned because that's how they learn where's the line, what's too much and what's okay. I can see this being a big challenge. So rough and tumble play, it's common. It's not all their play. of boys don't like it. Exactly. And yet when you are in this culture where 60% of the boys do, and we live in this, you know, these expectations, they say boys like these things. And your son perhaps is one who doesn't like it. That's a very difficult social situation for him to navigate. How do I connect with these other boys who Perhaps I didn't realize this was coming around to an instance from my son's life, but I think it is. My oldest son in first grade, it drove him crazy. All the boys are just jumping on each other and tackling on each other. And the teacher said not to do that. He was a rule follower, oldest son. Uh And he wanted at that point to do like this 
imaginative play and create mm. these worlds and roles. And the other guys weren't having it. It right. created social stress. It did. Yeah. Even though the rough and tumble play is the majority, it's not a huge majority. So there's 40% out there, you know, four, mm -hmm. four, four out of 10 kids don't like that. You can find your people. And as with the young ages, as parents, we can have a lot of influence on their social life by creating opportunities. Uh -huh. So use your deep knowledge of your son and try to figure out what he would enjoy doing that he could do with other kids because it is enormously comforting for kids to be able to tell themselves, my real friends are over there. Mm -hmm. So I always, always, always recommend multiple groups of friends if we can manage it so that the ups and downs of friendships are inevitable and we want them to have options. I love what you said about at a young age, we have, we do have influence. We can set up certain ways to play and even the rough and tumble boys, you know, have them over and do cooking or something like that, that it doesn't always have to be that thing. And along with rough and tumble play, gunplay, violence, I put in air quotes because is there really violence or is it action? I have a family coaching client right now whose kids are into stop motion, you know, move the Legos, take a picture wow. and, yes. and make movies. And the concern is it's all battles. It's all quote unquote violence. How many How people get hurt? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think with Legos, there's blood, right? But, right, exactly. And I think it's more intensively worrying on a heart level for moms, like, oh, my child is doing all this violent play. And then along with that, I want you to talk about that. But this particular family has a 10-year-old and a five-year-old. So they're, so it's like, what is the level of violence of the 10-year-old and how is it impacting the five-year-old? I think this is very similar to what we think about with events in the news, like terrible, terrible events. Mm -hmm. And I like to think about the concept of immediacy. Having your parent tell you about a bad event is less immediate than reading about it, which is less immediate than seeing pictures of it, which is less immediate than watching the videos of the sobbing mothers. So I think the same thing is true with the the quote unquote violent play arranging Legos and have them pretend to shoot at each other who's dying here you know mm -hmm. who even needs a band-aid nobody mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so that's not and never true. mind that like that's pretty much the plot of how many movies over mm -hmm. the courses of absolutely the, I mean so they're experimenting with the ideas of power and because that's what imaginative play is, it's about exploring these these big ideas and the things that are a little bit scary or a lot scary, but they're in control. It's the same reason we like roller coasters, you know, because it's um, terror in the in the context of safety. You know? yeah. um, and if we had a movie that was the whole family got along well and then they went to bed early with no fussing at all. I mean, that's like the fantasy of every parent I know, but would it make a good movie? Uh, no. I do think that there would be a lot of moms showing up to watch it and just enjoy the <laughs> fantasy for a bit, but then they'd all go home and feel terrible about themselves. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to win any Oscars, that's for sure. But I love what you're saying about this, the immediacy and 
no one's dying. And, and I do think it's really important for our kids to work out their own inner turmoil and what they're seeing in the media through their play. And it's in a very controlled way that they're in control. We also have to be careful about being judgmental Mm. about boys' play and boys' imagination. Girls do plenty of things. A friend of a friend was walking around and her little girl was going, oh, mommy, I want the pink one. And this mom was definitely a feminist. And she said, I did not do this. (laughs) You know, this is not me. (laughs) But again, nobody got hurt and the kid Mm -hmm. grew up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I think it is that adult overlay that we put on it. And I encouraged this particular mom and I encourage our moms who are thinking, oh, my child is violent. Why is everything a gun? Think of it as action rather than violence. Because it isn't violence. It's it's action. And as Jen said, how many movies are all about just the action rather than the relationship and the deep emotional place that we love to go, as many women do. Yeah. And how delicious for a little guy who really has no control over much of anything, you know, not even when he has to go to bed, um, to imagine being powerful. <laughs> yeah. 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 Help our, help our listeners. You, you talked about that study, you know, and how children and men tended to be better at looking at these scenarios of play fighting versus fighting. Help moms who may be listening understand what to look for. You know, what's oh, the difference? Goodness. Yes. So handy dandy list from this study. And it turns out that in play fighting, the kids are smiling and laughing, both of them Mm -hmm. or all of them, however many is involved. (laughs) Um, In real fighting, they look angry. In play fighting, they're trying to hurt each other. In real fighting, they pull the punches. Play fighting tends to be more of a bunch of people involved rather Mm -hmm. than just two people. Yeah. One thing that I learned through r- rough experience, pun intended, mm-hmm. is that sometimes I could tell based on the tone and the sounds, even if yeah. I was in the kitchen, you know, exactly. making dinner or whatever, when uh, somebody's voice starts to pitch up or I'm yeah. hearing they're flipping into their like they're angry, pissed off. Yeah. I want to hurt somebody sound. Yeah. That was when I needed to step in. Yeah. And, and say, both of you separate peace in the family, you know, and yeah. you can also ask, is everybody having fun right now? Cause if everybody isn't having fun, it's got to stop. Um, we can also have kids <laughs> have a safe word, you know, that, you know, bananas or something, not no or stop or don't, because that can be part of the game, but something irrelevant that they can say. And when that happens, boom, everybody's got to take two steps back because then we've crossed the line. It's no longer fun. We've said this before, Janet, but I feel like it's important to reiterate in the context of this discussion, children in general, humans, we learn by screwing up. Absolutely. Frequently, boys learn where the limits are by crossing the line. Yeah. And yes, perhaps this went, oh, my brother is crying. My friend is crying. What can we do as the adults to not shame not punish, but to support learning and development of friendship skills, which will be important in all kinds of future relationships in those instances. Absolutely. I have a thing that is probably the best thing I've ever invented because it works and it works with kids and it works with with, um, partners and coworkers and so forth. And I call it a soft criticism. 
So our normal response to criticism for all of us mm -hmm. is to defend. Wow, <laughs> it's not my fault. And he did it too. And they did it worse, uh, et cetera. That is just human nature. So the soft criticism is designed to get around that normal defensiveness. And we start by giving an excuse. The excuse says that I know you're a good person with good intentions, even when you mess up. So mm -hmm. the, the excuse might be something like, I know you didn't mean to. I get that you were trying to. I know you have a lot going on. You probably didn't realize, whatever. But the beauty of the excuse is that in order to come up with a reasonable excuse, we have to stop for a second, imagine the perspective of the other person. Ah which raises our empathy, lowers our anger, great place to be starting a conversation. Mm -hmm. And also just on a practical level, if you give an excuse, he doesn't have to come up with one and we can just skip that part and move on. Nice. It's interesting as you say that there's levels of teaching going on here because throughout the course of a child's life, as you do that, you're showing them by example, how to have discussions and to give soft criticism. Absolutely. Next steps for soft criticism after these messages from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. Babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about By Heart baby formula. By Heart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk. And Byheart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula and proved that babies on Byheart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. Byheart is also the only U.S. made infant formula to use organic grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider Byheart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code ONBOYS at byheart.com. That's B-Y-H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast. And it is 10% off your first order. Byheart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet. But a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin and I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve and I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. Yeah, and you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no, and they taste good and they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. 
That's try, T-R-Y, dot, easy melts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S, dot com, forward slash, on boys. So we got two more steps though, because the, the, that excuse is just the first step and it's to step over the defensiveness and to connect with your kid, you know, put you on the same side rather than against him. But then we have to talk about what happened. So Mm -hmm. we describe the problem using the formula when you bad behavior, bad outcome. Okay. So I get that you were really frustrated because you were trying to do your homework um, and your brother was making way too much noise and it was really hard to concentrate. At the same time, when you throw your shoe at him, you could really hurt him. Listeners, I almost spit out my coffee at that because (laughs) this is such a perfect example where as parents, we find ourselves saying things that we're like, I never thought I would have to say. It's obvious to us, but it isn't necessarily obvious to our children. (laughs) Right, exactly. So when you bad behavior, bad outcome. Okay. And then we don't stop there because we never want to leave a kid stuck feeling bad. So we move Mm -hmm. on to the next stage, which is moving forward. Mm. And here we want to ask a good question. One of my favorites is, what can you do to help him feel better? I love that because Mm. you're getting your kid back on track with being a good kid. They want that. You want that. Everybody wants that. So we're not leaving them stuck in the the bad place, but we're moving them forward towards taking kind action. So what can you do to help him feel better? Other questions might be, what could you do instead? Or what can we do to prevent this? It's tempting to just give the answer. Mm-hmm. But it is much more valuable if we can ask questions and get the words out of their lips, because then they're thinking it through. So what could I do? Well, I guess I could go upstairs. I guess I could get you. And then you can say, great idea. Let's try that. I'm, I'm envisioning the post-it note of step one, step two, step three, that you have to practice this. Yes. You can't do this in the moment. Jen's already <laughs> got it. Of course she does. And she will probably put it in the show notes, but, Mm -hmm. but that it's, it's a practice and we can't do it in the moment when things are exploding. If there's screeching, it's like everybody separate, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) that's just a safety thing. And I'm, I'm hearing from young moms in my practice. Oh, isn't that invalidating? No, (laughs) you know, taking a break is a really good idea when tempers are high Mm -hmm. and you can't talk to the kids when you or they are, the brain has fallen off a cliff because we're just seeing red. So cooling off break is great. In in our old house, we used to be very close to our neighbor. And there's this uh, lovely older couple. And my back door was overlooked by her kitchen window. And one day, the, the wife in this family said to me, Eileen, I saw you last night. And I said, oh. And she said, yeah. And at first I was wondering, why is Eileen standing outside the back door, staring out at the rain with the baby on the hip? And then she said, and then I realized, oh, she's making sure she doesn't strangle the other children. I said, yes, that's exactly what I was doing. (laughs) Taking a break is a life skill. (laughs) Yes, yes, it is a life skill. And as you're, you know, these, these steps here that you've described, you know, give an excuse, uh, describe the problem, move forward, we can use these in all of our relationships. Absolutely, I can use this with my spouse. We yes. can use this with our coworkers. 
it struck me as I was working on my book, Building Boys. I don't know why. Oh, I've been oh, by the parenting- way, I love that book. I, uh, you sent me a copy of it and it's fantastic. I love Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I've been parenting boys through the time where the Me Too movement became a big thing. And there's so much that we as a, a country and a world needed to discuss. So much focus on consent. Yes, that's something we need to talk about with our boys, but it really relationships. It's key to all of this. Friendship is the groundwork where we learn how to interact with humans. And so I think that after keeping them alive, our fundamental job as parents is to teach them how to be in relationships. Mm -hmm. And friendships are kind of the answer to everything. If you want a kid to feel happier, help him make friends. Mm -hmm. If you want him to um, deal better with stressful situations, help him make friends. If you want him to be more confident, less likely to be bullied, friends. If you want them to be more engaged in school, friends. Like most kids don't go to school because of the exciting curriculum. (laughs) They want to go because (laughs) to see their friends. Let's be real. Right. Yeah. I want to talk about bullying. You mentioned that. Whenever I'm working with parents, it's like you using the word bullying is pretty loaded because we all have a different definition. We all have a different idea. Man, if it is our kid that we think is being bullied, ooh, baby, watch out. Um, Talk about bullying, how parents can help kids deal with it, how to actually discern whether it is. serious enough to call bullying? Right. So that is such a good question, Janet. Thank you for asking that. As a clinical psychologist, I just want to start out by saying, I have seen very severe cases of peer abuse and they are awful and they require adult intervention. But I also think the B word bullying Mm -hmm. is thrown around way too easily. Mm -hmm. And scientists have a very specific definition of bullying. It's deliberate meanness, targeting a specific kid, usually over a period of time, although sometimes one, especially nasty action can count. Mm -hmm. And this is the most important. There is a power difference between the kid doing the bullying and the kid being targeted. If there is no power difference, it is not bullying. It's what I call ordinary meanness. So what does it matter if we call everything bullying? Well, then you are, if you call every little twitch of the nostril bullying, you are trivializing those very serious cases Mm. of peer abuse. And you are also telling your kid, you can't handle it. You are delicate. If anybody Mm. is even slightly mean to you, you know, you're, you're going to melt. That's not a useful message to our kids. If it's a conflict, it's painful. There might be tears involved. There might be anger and, and hurt, but they can work it out. And we can offer lots and lots of empathy and ask some good questions about how to get through it. We adults tend to want kids to talk everything through especially we moms. Right. But research tells us that negotiation and compromise doesn't become the main way that kids resolve conflicts until age 19. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, I mean, that doesn't mean that, you know, we wait until 19 to teach them, but it's, it doesn't come naturally. And often the way kids resolve conflicts is either one person insists and the other one gives in, 
or they separate for a little bit and then they come back together. I'll tell you a story. I had a kindergarten boy who came in once to see me at my practice and he was so sad. And I said, what happened? And he said, I lost my best friend today. Mm. And they'd had some kind of argument. I don't even remember what it was about. Um, but he was convinced that was it. The friendship was over and he was heartbroken. So I said to him, I don't think you've lost your best friend. Here's what I want you to do. Tomorrow, when you go into school, I want you to give your friend a big smile and say hi, and then play with him. And he said, really? And I said, really? Because that's often how kids resolve conflicts. They separate for a little bit, and then they come back together and just be kind, be friendly. And it works itself out. And th this is so important. There's another idea that I talk about in my book, Growing Friendships, uh, which was the earlier one, which is forgiveness guidelines. Forgiveness so I, guidelines. Yeah. So I had, uh, like some kids will collect grievances like beads on a string. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I had a, a client once, it was the boy, the mom and me, and we were thinking about, well, who could he reach out to try to fan the flames on a friendship? And the mom said, well, how about the kid down the road? And the boy said, no, because -uh, two years ago in travel basketball, he never passed the ball. So forgiveness guidelines, <laughs> if it happened once and it's never likely to happen again, let it go. If the person is genuinely sorry, let it go. If it wasn't that big of a deal, let it go. If it happened more than a month ago, definitely let it go because the hanging on to that bitterness hurts you. Like I'm sure the other kid doesn't even remember two years ago in travel soccer, travel basketball. I want to talk about men and friendships because uh -huh. I'm sure many of our mom listeners are going, I do all the social yep. planning. I make the friends. And if we're lucky, we have couple friends, but my husband doesn't have any friends. Or my husband has a quote unquote best friend that he talks to maybe once a month, uh -huh, uh -huh. but he considers it a best friend. And as women, we're like, but I talk to my best friend every day. How can right. that be a best friend? Right, right. So that different perspective on friendships. So our husbands and partners are adults. <laughs> so we do have to keep that in mind. And as tempting it is, as it is to arrange play dates for them, <laughs> that's probably not going to be work long-term. Um, might work to get them over the home. Depends on the man we're talking about, what, how open they would be to that. Friendships take effort and time. There was one comment I read. I never found the original study for this, so take it with a grain of salt. But it said it took 30 hours to make an acquaintance, 60 hours to make a casual friend, 90 hours to make an intimate friend. I have no idea where they got those numbers. But the point is, it takes considerable time and effort. And for many men, they get their intimacy needs met through their spouse or partner. And they kind of don't want to bother <laughs> with more than that. But of course, it, it it is nice to have multiple people in our lives who we feel supported with. Just like with the kids, it's useful to think about what do they like to do that they could do with other people. 
because we often make friends by doing fun things together. There's also the the issue of intimacy, because in order to have a close friendship, you can't just show the shiny, sparkly side of yourself, right? You have to show the insecurities, the vulnerabilities, the worries, and then we feel known and we feel supported. So, so that is really important. There's a concept that I talk about called the magnet myth of friendship. Magnet myth. Hmm. Magnet myth. Yes. So that means it's the belief that I have to be so amazing and wonderful that I draw friends to me the way a magnet attracts metal. This is a myth. Nobody wants to be the metal. And if you're looking for that, wow, you're amazing reaction. You are not looking for friends. You are looking for fans. Yeah. Groupies was the word that popped into my head. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I see this a lot with really bright kids that I work in Princeton, New Jersey. So bright kids are thick on the ground um, because of the university. Um, A lot of times these bright kids will, will say to an adult, I can do this and I can do that. And the adult is charmed and says, oh, isn't that wonderful? So then the kids try the same script with their peers, except the peers are not charmed and they say, who cares or quit bragging. And the first kid feels hurt and rejected. But really the problem is that they haven't recognized that the scripts for connecting with adults are different than the scripts for connecting with peers. That's a big challenge for gifted kids, especially if they are in the company of adults a lot, which can happen due to shared interest, due to proximity. How can parents help kids who maybe, for whatever reason, feel more comfortable connecting with adults, find relationships with peers, connect meaningfully with peers? Right. Friendship is fundamentally a relationship between equals. So if you imagine two overlapping circles, that center overlap area is the common ground, and that's where friendships build. So if you are talking about something that's true only of you, that is irrelevant to building the friendship. Hmm. Think about what your kid likes to do that they could do with other kids. Sometimes you have to go look harder to find that kid's group. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's a, a gifted program over the summer or, you know, it's all the kids who love moths, <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> whatever the so, thing is. <laughs> so what about that? What about the group being online? So many boys have friends, quote unquote, online right. that they game with. Yeah. So some people say that the online friendships aren't real, but they can be real. For instance, Black kids on campus, you know, that they're the only one in their school and it's, it's helpful to find people that they go, ah, this person is like me, however mm-hmm. they're defining that. And they can feel supported and feel known. And they're just things that you don't have to explain. Like Eileen Kennedy Moore, I come from an Irish Catholic background. They're just things that, you know, somebody with the same background knows without me explaining. So that's not that I'm prejudiced against other people. It's just there's an ease and a comfort when I have, this is my group. Um, of course, as adults, we want to define ourselves in multiple, multiple ways. You know, so, so I have this group, but I also have this identity and that identity. And then we can have lots and lots of overlaps with lots and lots of people. Or another example would be a kid with a serious medical illness. Yeah, Like they may not find that right in their 
mm-hmm. first grade classroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But being able to connect with other people, maybe it's online, that can be very, very real. Or it's in it with divorced moms also that they can find genuine support. So we can't say that online relationships are categorically not real. Mm -hmm. Um, They can vary in in their depth. At the same time, there is something special about being in person together. And I've seen this in my practice where over COVID, it was 100% online and man, I was working hard. Oh my gosh. The the depressed teenagers was like, how are you doing? Fine. What's going on? Nothing. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So so I don't know if it's pheromones or body heat or just being together in the room, but it feels different and it feels good. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we want to think about ways to make that happen, getting together in person. Mm -hmm. So don't settle for only online, but depending on your kid, you may have to, and how unusual their interests are, you may have to work harder to find their, their group. What have you seen over these recent years? You know, uh, 2023, as we're recording, we're not in the early days of the pandemic, but, you know, kids' lives were drastically affected to varying degrees, some more than others. What sort of lingering impact or effects have you seen on boys' friendships and social skills? What fuels the development of children's friendships from those love the one you're with friendships of the toddler years to the more (laughs) intimate and lasting friendships of the teen years is an increasing ability to understand someone else's perspective. I think kids and adults are behind or rusty (laughs) doing that Um, because we spent way too much time staring at ourselves in in Zoom and just not really being able to see the reactions. I went to a professional meeting last Friday and like these are mental health professionals, so they should be good at (laughs) relationships, right? Yeah. And there was a thing where you go around the room and say a couple sentences and one person went on for a good 10 minutes. And then I was sitting next to two buddies and they're all all like with their eyes like this, looking down. And then somebody else was like, yeah, I'm premenopausal. And somebody else said, and I have to go to the bathroom at night more than I used to. (laughs) And it's like, it's me. Not appropriate. And there was some young, um, young therapist there. Oh my gosh, what are they thinking? (laughs) So (laughs) practice imagining someone else's perspective. And this is not something we master at age nine and then we're done. Like even as adults and new situations and new relationships, we're constantly having to learn about getting along. But it all comes from imagining the other person's perspective and trying to make the kind choice. So what do we do as moms? How do we gauge whether we are overly involved with our children's friendships. Maybe there's been a disagreement and your child's in middle school and it's like, oh my gosh, all of the memories, visceral memories of middle school are coming back and you're just like ready to go to bat. And probably what's going to happen is the next day, as you said, they're going to make up and be friends, but the parent, the mom especially, is still on the train, on the emotional roller coaster of they did this to my kid and all the things. 
It is hard to know how much to support your child when things get heated. Stay tuned. Eileen has answers after these messages from our sponsors. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet. But a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten Easy Melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin. And I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve. And I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. Yeah, and you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no, and they taste good. And they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's try, T-R-Y dot easymelts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S dot com forward slash onboys. There's a guy named Ellie Leibowitz out of Yale who treats pediatric anxiety. And he has a very interesting way of approaching it because he never meets with the kids. Mm-hmm. He only meets with the parents. And his recipe is empathy plus confidence. And I think this is so brilliant. So empathize because your kid is really struggling in that moment. Mm-hmm. And confidence that he can manage it, he can figure it out. And maybe you'll ask some good questions or maybe just say, I think you got this. Um, But what a gift to give to a child. So you asked, how do we know we're doing too much? If lawyers are involved, (laughs) it's too much. And that has happened. That has happened. I know of two cases in my town. Um, That is never the right answer for a, a typical kid conflict. And also if you are... If you are arguing with the other parents, also not good mm-hmm. because we don't want this to be Romeo and Juliet or, you know, whatever, yeah, right. you know, the Hatfields and McCoys. And right. <laughs> yeah. Um, that goes on for generations. So your role when your kid is struggling with it is lots and lots of empathy, because when your kid is struggling, that's not the time to say, see, didn't I tell you? I knew this was going to happen, you know, because they, they need to come home to safety. Yeah. You say, so to empathize, we would say my basic line is you're feeling blank because blank. So you're feeling frustrated because he wouldn't let you do the whatever, or you're feeling sad because they all played and you didn't want to play. So you were off by yourself, whatever it is. You're feeling left out because you see all your friends on Instagram at that party and you weren't invited. Exactly, exactly. And this is kind of a dippy intervention, but some of us have made a career out of it because it works. It feels good to be heard and understood. And when you as a parent do it, it's like you're holding half the weight of those big feelings. There's really something magical about wrapping up their big, messy feelings in words. 
which makes mm-hmm. them more understandable and therefore more manageable. So th- th- this is not a, a nothing thing to do. So you start with the empathy. Bonus points, if you have a kid who's a big reactor, if you say right now or mm-hmm. in this moment or in this particular situation or today. Ah. So we're we're you know tying it to not forever and always. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Or when he did that particular thing at that time, <laughs> yes. instead of like generalizing it, which the kid may have a tendency to exactly, do. Exactly. Because children by definition lack perspective, right? They just haven't been around <laughs> that, much right? seen that much of the world. So yes, when we can pull it down, I call it reflect, but downshift. Reflect, um, but downshift. Yeah. So you just tie it to right now or in this situation and kind of contain it a little bit. And then often you have to do more than one reflection statement. So you might say, it bothers you when, it's hard for you when, you wish, and you keep reflecting until you see the softening in their face or in their body. And that's when you know that they feel hurt. We adults tend to want to skip the feelings and go straight to the solution. Mm-hmm but kids won't let us. I'll tell you a story. I had a family that I was working with and the parents were these lovely, thoughtful, gentle people. And one day their son came home and said, I hate Stuart's guts. And I'm I'm changing names, of course. And the parents responded by saying something along the lines of dehumanization is what has led to atrocities throughout history. Now, Which this is, is true, true. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, but not all that helpful if I am a kid in that moment, right, because right, exactly. I hate Stewart's guts right now. Right. So they were completely talking past him. And the kid responded by saying, I want to kill Stuart. And these poor parents were afraid that they were raising a future axe murder. But the principle is when kids don't feel heard, they get louder. So this reflection, just describe the feelings you see. You don't have to interpret. Um, And sometimes parents say, well, what if I say the wrong thing? Don't worry. Your kid will correct you. I'm not angry. I'm mad. Yeah. (laughs) He's doing the work of wrapping those feelings up in words. And this is powerful. And then after you see the softening in their face or in their body, because they're not going to say, why, yes, mother, what an insightful observation. Um, But you will get a grunt of acknowledgement or you'll just see that softening. Yes. Not before then, but when you see that softening, then you can say, what do you think you might do? Or Mm. what do you think might help? And guide them towards thinking it through. One thing I've noticed anecdotally, and I'd like you to both chime in, you know, if you've seen the same or not, there's been increased interest and effort, I think, among parents to do this empathy part, to do the validating, to do the hearing part. I think that there are a lot of parents who still need to work on the confidence in their kids Yes, to handle it part. They, they get stuck in the empathizing part. So there's there's old research on this. Um, John Gottman uh, invited parents into the lab with their kids, and, the, and he gave the kids a puzzle that was deliberately too hard. Okay. And he found that there were three main types of parental responses. So one group of parents, they weren't mean, but they were emotionally dismissive. So they'll kind of like suck it up. You know, you can do this kind of thing. But but again, not mean parents. The other 
group of parents were um, very emotionally attuned and they, oh, this is so hard for you. You're really struggling here. But they kind of left the kid hanging. And then what, you know? Mm -hmm. And the third group did what he called emotion coaching, which involved both acknowledging the kids' feelings and helping them figure out how to cope with that. And then in other studies, he found that parents who did more emotion coaching, which is, by the way, is not all the time. Um, I'm forgetting the numbers, but it was surprisingly infrequently that emotion coaching parents did emotion coaching. So it's not like you have to do this, you know, eight hours a day or whatever, but their kids had better peer relationships according to teacher ratings. They were happier and they also had better physical health three years later, which is wild because we never get those kind of results. Right. Yeah. So that, that was really interesting. And I, I think that that's what, what Libos is talking about, about the empathy plus confidence in your kids to do that. So this is, may sound like a weird thing for a psychologist to say, but feelings are not dangerous. Sometimes they're important. Sometimes they're not. Right. I, I had a kid once in my practice who hated, hated, hated having her picture taken and it was going to be grandma's birthday. The whole family was gathering from out of state and everything. And grandma wanted a picture of the whole gang. So I had the girl and she was spitting nails. I hate pictures and so forth. And I asked her, you, I, I validated and said, you really hate pictures. You just don't like standing there. You feel weird. You don't like it afterwards. And then I said to her, whose feelings are more important in this moment? Grandma's. Ooh, that is good emotion coaching right there. Right. Yeah. And so then we talked about, okay, so what can you do to get through this difficult moment for you? Because I'm not going to say don't be scared or don't be upset. This is probably an Irish Catholic thing that, um, and in my culture, you're not supposed to have a swelled head. It's just, (laughs) you don't do it. Right. Um, And you're always part of the group. Yeah. So I think that that's an important lesson is your feelings matter, but they're not always the most important. Mm, So important. Oh my gosh. What a friendship lesson, Janet, eh? Yeah, that is so good. I think along the confidence line too, is the word trust, I think can be huge. You know, I trust that you can figure this out and I'm here to help you. Right. Yes. And I trust that you can do this. What about our parents who are hearing that right now going, yeah, but if I'm honest, I don't trust that he can figure this out. I do not trust this. He's made bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. Exactly. But but we're going to take a learning mode. And some kids pick up math out of the air. Mm -hmm. And some kids, you have to guide them every step. So where's the numerator? Where's And we don't say four. The answer is four. You know, we walk them through it. So that's kind of what we Mm -hmm. have to do with them to get them to practice imagining how other people might react. Like I have two books for kids that um, about friendship that I have a bunch of other books for parents. um, But the two for kids are Growing Friendships, A Kid's Guide to Making and Keeping Friends, and Growing Feelings, A Kid's Guide to Dealing with Emotions about Friends and Other Kids. And that's the new one. It just came out in July. And what's Um, the age range for these books? What would be your target audience? Six to 12. Okay. Which is like, that's the key years where they're really learning a lot. Yeah. about mm-hmm. friendship. So for instance, one of the, the topics we talk about is stop signals. We, in my practice, sometimes um, with a more impulsive kid or oblivious kid, we'll actually brainstorm a list of stop si- signals. 
Stop it. Quit it. Cut it out. You're being annoying. Kids can be very direct. And so, sometimes they're nonverbal, like, or, you know, turning away. So we want to be alert to those ones too. When you hear a stop signal, you must stop because otherwise you're saying to the person, I don't care how you feel. And that's not what we want to communicate. Now, of course, some kids have a harder time than others stopping. So with the little ones, sometimes we go with a physical strategy, like cross your arms and give yourself a little hug, sit on your hands, pretend your tongue is stuck to the roof of your mouth. With the older kids, sometimes it's useful to give them a phrase like, I'm going to stop now. It's a little bit unusual, but it's communicating to the other person. I hear you. I'm working on it. And it gives the kid that extra three seconds of breaking room. Yeah. Mm. So that can be very, very powerful. But first they have to see that they need to to stop. I love that you have books for both parents and children because, (laughs) you know, children, it's so helpful to have something that is aimed directly at you. And most of us who are parents now, we didn't really get a lot of coaching in the learning to develop friends. And so it's difficult for us. And I think it's also, especially with boys. So there's research that as infants, boys are more emotionally expressive than girls, but by age five or six, they are much less likely to express hurt or sadness. I have another book for kids called Moody Moody Cars. A lot of emotion books are preachy and boring yeah. and my art. <laughs> yeah. And or, you know, like pink flowers and, and it's like, no, you know, emotions belong to all of us. So I partnered with, with this guy, Michael Furman, who does these gorgeous photos of vintage cars. And to me, they look like they have feelings, right? The, the faces yeah. of the car. Some people. Yes, yes, them, yes. Yeah. You see? Yeah. Good. So we talk about the feelings of each of these gorgeous vintage cars and the text, it goes freewheeling, full of feeling, traveling near and far. Punk, if you see me, I'm a moody, moody car. So it's very fun for the four to eight year olds. (laughs) And they will definitely start looking around and noticing the the faces of the cars. And the extension is it's practice thinking about emotions, labeling emotions. And this is just so important, especially for boys. Um, I have to tell you, though, about my new project. So I just started this. (laughs) I just started this in January and it's a podcast for children called Kids Ask Dr. Friendtastic. Each episode has an audio recording of a kid saying their first name or a first name, I don't care, their age, and then a brief question about friendship. And then I hold forth. Um, And I try to give something that's both thought-provoking and practical. And the episodes are five minutes. So if you go to drfriendtastic.com, dr friendtastic.com and click on the podcast tab. You can see all, all the episodes and also every episode has a transcript for the busy moms who are, you know, mm-hmm. I got to read this late at night. And it also has discussion questions so you can deepen the conversation with your child. Brilliant. Um, so but, brilliant. Wow. Yeah, but for teachers, if we have teachers out there, this is such an easy friendship lesson. So the podcast is free. It comes out every Saturday morning if you sign up for my newsletter. What you could do is play the episode up to the kid's question. Ask your students, what advice would you give to this kid? (laughs) Then play my answer, see what they think, and then follow up with the discussion questions. 
as a former <laughs> educator, I would I would like bow down before you to have this resource. This is yeah, and awesome. it's like it'd be maximum fifteen minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Because the episode is five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And as a parent too, I mean, this is exactly like you could coincidentally happen to put this on on the way to school. <laughs> hmm, I wonder why this is the episode coming up. Something to talk about over the dinner table, right? And or. You know, your kid has a friendship dilemma, and I don't know what to tell you. I can encourage my kid to call Dr. Fantastic. Please do. So just take your phone and do the audio app or a memo thing and hold it close to their mouth so I can hear them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then they just say a first name, their age, and the question. Then send it to me. There's a form on the thing, or you can just email it to me um, at drf at Eileen Kennedy Moore. So drf at Eileen Kennedy Moore.com. And I'm especially interested in getting questions from, from boys. So your listeners are the people I want to <laughs> <wanna> hear from. <laughs> awesome. We are going to include um, links to your website, uh, the podcast in the show notes, because you have created a wealth of tools for parents over the years and children. And, you know, it's more than we can list off. Frankly, it's more than they're going to remember in, in this conversation. So sure. please do look at the show notes. Dr. Fantastic, Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore, as you learn, has a lot of experience, a lot of compassion, a lot of confidence in your kids and in you. And we agree with you. Helping our boys build friendships is one of the most important things that we can do to help them become full, well-rounded, healthy, happy humans. Absolutely. Thank Thank you, you, Eileen. My pleasure. This was so much fun. Yes. What Jen said and what Dr. Frantastic is saying is friendships are so crucial to our children's happiness. And Dr. Frantastic is here to help. Share this podcast with a teacher, with a friend. Thank you for being here. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net. And I'm Janet Allison of boysalive.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.